Welcome to this episode of Stacks and Stories, the podcast of the Mississippi Library Commission. When people talk about movies based on books, they often say the book is better than the movie. But what if it wasn't? Is it okay to admit that the movie is better than the book? And what could cause this to happen? Listen as Lacey and Shelley discuss this topic while bringing up their favorite examples. Stay tuned. You may hear about a new book or movie that could interest you. Hey everybody, this is Shelley Ziegler and I'm one of the library consultants here at the Library Commission and I love talking about books and movies. I love talking about the differences, which are better, which are worse. So I'm here with my supervisor, <laughs> Lacey Ellenwood, who is a movie connoisseur and so we're going to talk about some of our favorite book movie adaptations. Yes. So the first one we're going to talk about is which is the book better than the movie? Like, mm-hmm. what are our opinions about that? So, Lacey, do you want to go ahead with your first pick? Sure. I chose, and throughout this podcast, there'll be a couple of, like, classic novels. I seem to have taken a classic route That's this cool. time around. That's good. Um, so the first one that I'll be talking about that I actually like the book better than the movie, even though I saw the film first, is the... 1947 Emily Bronte novel, Weathering Heights. And there are multiple movies of Weathering Heights. Um, I haven't seen them all, but I did happen to see the 1992 feature film adaptation of that novel. And the film is actually pretty notable for including the not so often mentioned second generation of the children from that story. Some of the other films don't include them, but this 1992 version actually includes it. I didn't know that. It's Ray Fiennes' first film, which I didn't know. <gasps> Did it was not his first know movie. That. And then it also has the famed French actress Juliette Binoche. So you would think that, <gasps> yeah. oh, this movie's going to be fantastic. And it, and it is. And I really did enjoy it. But it was really the novel, reading it maybe eight or so years after I had seen the movie, that I really was like, oh, no. The book <laughs> is superior to the movie. But I think that has a lot to do with preferences that a lot of us have when we're experiencing reading a book and that's the tactile nature of reading a physical book Mm -hmm. and it had a lot to do with the copy that I bought on a clearance shelf at Barnes and Noble. Hey, that's the way to do it. That's the way to get those classics. Oh yeah, definitely. Totally. And it was really interesting. It was like a five by seven cloth bound Ooh, copy. Yeah, you get a beautiful with, copy. Mm-hmm, with like gilding along the edges and all of the pages were sealed. So you had to cut them as you read through the novel. And Fancy. it very much made me feel like I was in a Jane Austen movie wearing an empire waist dress and I'm just (laughs) tucking my novel into my little pocket. So I think my preference for the book over the movie had a lot to do with my initial experience reading the physical book. And like many people, I fell in love with the dark and brooding character of Heathcliff. Me too. Only one in a long line of fictitious bad boys that, you know, I think we all fell in love with with our adolescent brains. You know, the gothic overtones and the dark romance of it all were really just ripe for like 
young me to be like, oh, I'm so sad and it's so dramatic. And I really do still want my own sleeping cupboard, which is like mentioned in the novel. I'm like, I I research like sleeping cupboard. What is that? And you can actually like find these giant wooden pieces of furniture that people would sleep in. I forgot all about the sleeping cupboard. I I do want my own sleeping cupboard. I'm going to have to revisit whether or not. It's (laughs) it's been a while since I've read it. It's a good one. And, you know, there's a lot of talk about, well, I mean, he is a very polarizing character in that he turns into this mean and vindictive sort of character that has these toxic masculine traits about him. And, well, you know, when I'm 14, I'm not really thinking about toxic masculinity. (laughs) You know what I really like to do is I like to revisit classics in different stages of my life Mm -hmm. because I find that. You you know, it's kind of like how they say you can never step in the same river twice. Mm -hmm. So, like, I read that book in high school, and I think I read it in my 20s, but now in my late 40s. We won't tell anybody. It's okay. It happens, too. It happens to the best of us. Um, I'm wondering how it will sit with me. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I wonder if I'll love it as much. I haven't seen this adaptation, but there was a 2012 reimagining of Weathering Heights, and it had more diverse characters in it. So uh-huh. I'm, I'm actually curious if I can go back and maybe look at that and see how I feel about that film versus the novel. That'll be something I'll have to look into. I was actually really surprised. I, I tend to do a little bit of research before I come on to no these way. things. No <laughs> way. Librarian um, you. But the initial novel was very polarizing in the reviews of, uh-huh. of the Weathering Heights novel. It was controversial for its depictions of kind of mental and physical cruelty and for its challenges to really the Victorian morality at the time. So, and as well as other religious and societal views. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of a polarizing novel when it when it came out. And there are actually two editions of it. There was one that was done by the author, and then she passed away. And so her sister actually kind of uh, did another edition of it shortly after she had passed away. I think it was 1850. But don't quote me on that date. <laughs> I didn't write it down. <laughs> All right. We will not. We will not. Well, that's interesting. What about um, you, Shelley? Okay, so a, a book that I think is better than the movie, I need to have a, a caveat here. I love the movie, but I love the book better. Mm-hmm. Okay, is um, one of my favorite authors, John Irving. Mm. Okay. And so many great so, books to so movie adaptations. So many. However... This one bothers me. It's the Cider House Rules. Have you read it? I have not read it, but I do really enjoy the film. Okay. It is a fabulous film. I'm going to give it that. It is not, it is not one where I had read the book first, mm-hmm. and I read it, loved it. It's a super long book, but that's okay. Most of his books are. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's face it. But... When I saw the film, I was disappointed the first time I saw it Mm -hmm. because in the film, there is a huge part of the book that is left out. Uh. Okay, so the film, I'm going to give you a short rundown. Yeah, let let me just tell you about the film first. Mm -hmm. It is about Homer 
he's the main character. He's this, he's this young orphan who is raised in St. Cloud Orphanage. Mm-hmm. And he eventually, there he, he is kind of mentored by this doctor there. Yeah. Who performs abortions, not legally. Right. So Homer meets this couple that comes there to get an abortion, and he kind of becomes good good friends with them. Mm-hmm. And he leaves with them. I think he's a teenager, you know, young adult at yeah. this point. And he goes out into the world, and he starts working on their, they have like an apple farm, for lack of a better yeah. word. So basically, he, he goes out into the world. Yeah. Interesting enough, the, I'm not giving anything away, but the, the title of the book, Cider House Rules, is because at this apple farm, I feel like there's a better word for Orchard. It. Orchard. Thank you. I'm like, As the resident Western I, New Yorker, I'm thank like, you. I think you mean I, I orchard. I think apple farm is, is not the word, is not the term. There's not a lot of apple farm, apple orchards in Indiana that I can think of. Anyway, the people that work for this apple orchard, they all live in this bunkhouse. Mm-hmm. And inside the bunkhouse, there's a list of rules. Yeah. And no one who works for them is literate so they cannot oh. read the rules mm-hmm. so i forgot that aspect of it so it's called the cider house rules and none of the people that work there can read the, the rules. cider house rules mm-hmm. so i think that's fabulous okay homer goes back after this doctor sorry i can't remember the name of the doctor Michael Caine's my, character. Oh, Michael Caine. Michael Caine is fabulous. He's in the movie. wonderful. He is a drug addict of sorts, but you know we won't. I love John Irving because his characters are wonderful, complex. They are. They're beautifully flawed. They're so flawed, and I just feel like you can just relate to them. You know, mm-hmm. no one, no one is perfect. No one is held on a pedestal mm-hmm. whatsoever. So anyway. He goes back, and he actually ends up taking over his profession. Right. Okay, so that's the movie. The book. Oh, man. Okay, the book. Homer, it it does have a lot of similarities. Homer does leave, and he does leave with this this couple, and he does go to the apple orchard. (laughs) (laughs) Every time I say that, I have to keep reminding myself, not apple farm, Shelley. But there's another girl, there's another orphan, and her name is Melanie. And Melanie is Homer's first girlfriend at the orphanage. There's a whole other subplot of her. They kind of hint at that sort of a character a bit in the film, but it's not overt. Very little. Mm -hmm. Not enough to make me happy. Mm -hmm. And she leaves St. Cloud's. And she follows Homer after she finds out he leaves. Oh, wow. And her story is it actually crosses with Homer's story. Mm-hmm. And she's actually the reason he returns to St. Clouds. Okay. Yeah. And that's totally left out. And I guess, I think, no, I know, as a woman... That greatly bothers me. Oh, yeah. That the female perspective of this story is left out. Mm-hmm. So that is why that is my pick, that the book is better than the movie. Yeah. It's a great movie, but 
they needed to leave Melanie's story in there. It definitely would have been a richer... Much richer. But the thing is, it's a great movie. Oh, yeah. I mean, they did a great job with it, but uh, it just hurts my soul yeah that they left out this whole other part mm-hmm so that's what I'm going with okay that's yeah. good that's good yeah did we want to do another one book over movie or do you think we should maybe flip the switch and let's, go movie over book let's let's flip the switch and go okay. movie better than book for movie better than book I think I'm going to start with, I have two that I'm pretty passionate about. Okay. I just have one. (laughs) Okay. So the first one I'm going to talk about is Great Expectations. And so that was the 13th novel by Charles Dickens. It was his penultimate completed novel. The novel was first published, as many of Dickens' novels were, as a series in a weekly periodical back in the 1860s. And with this one... With the release of that novel by Dickens, Great Expectations, it actually got a lot of acclaim when it came out. And I'm going to argue that a big part of my issue with Dickens in general is that his novels started out in these periodical-based formats. Mm -hmm. I think it really lends itself to being more um, stodgy in the Mm -hmm. reading of those works. And I'm going to confess that I did not finish reading Great Expectations because I was having flashbacks to being in eighth grade and forcing myself through A Tale of Two Cities. So I was just like, "Mm mm-mm, I'm not reading. I'm done. As I can't you have do mentioned it. on other podcasts, if you do not love something, put it down. There's D- lots of books D- in the DNF that sucker. <laughs> Don't stick with it. But I am still a huge fan of the 1998 American romantic drama film, Great Expectations. It's really kind of a contemporary look at that 1961 novel from Charles Dickens. And it was directed by Alfonso Cuaron, who is a very famed director. He's done many different works. I'll reference one in a little bit. But it also has a cinematographer named Emmanuel Lubitsky. And he's a Mexican cinematographer. And he's worked with directors like Mike Nichols, Tim Burton, Michael Mann, Joel and Ethan Cohen. Very well connected. Um, And he's done a lot of films with Terrence Malick, which leads me to say, sometimes movies are better than the book because they create these visual worlds. They really just were not in the novel. And that's the big thing with my preference for the 1998 version of Great Expectations over the novel, just because it is so visually rich. Is this version the one with Ethan Hawke? Yeah. Okay. Yes. (laughs) Gwyneth Paltrow? Yep. Gwyneth Paltrow. This is amazing. Beautiful, beautiful artwork. It is. Beautiful costumes, Mm -hmm. fantastic soundtrack. It actually was not critically well received, but that's because it was released six weeks after Dun 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 Titanic. And we all know. Well, (laughs) there you go. We all know Titanic basically just like lived in the movie theater for like a year. So it was just bad timing. It was really bad timing. And so, like, the film was not super well received and, and released 
at a great time. But it takes the original novel that's, you know, set in between the years of 1812 and 1827 in London and moves it to the 90s in New York City New York, primarily. Yeah. There's some shots in Florida that are really great, but it's primarily set in 90s and is era it New York Anne City. Bancroft, Anne um, Bancroft plays the, Mrs. Uh, Miss uh, Havisher. Yeah, mm-hmm. she does a fabulous oh, job. Oh, she's oh, oh. gosh. I may or may not have seen the site of that film on for sale in real estate like really? a number of years ago Ooh. like I saw it come on the market yeah. or some or uh-huh. a property that looked very similar to that uh-huh. I was a little obsessed very cool anyway that film is just by far superior to the book one because you can actually get through it without feeling tortured by yeah. the syntax of Dickens mm-hmm. um, but also you know that director has also directed another one of my favorite films that comes from a novel and that is children of men it's a 2006 like science fiction uh-huh. action like thriller film movie. but it's actually based on pd james's 1992 novel uh, the Children of Men, so that's just a little bonus shout out. I did not I know read. it was based on a book. I didn't, I didn't, I thought it had been, but I wasn't entirely sure until I did some research, so that's just a little bonus reading for Aww. you. I haven't read that novel, but if it's anywhere near as good as that 2006 movie, it's definitely worth looking into. So that's my first kind of recommendation of a movie over a book, that's is good. that Great Expectations film from the 90s. That's good stuff. And now I totally want to go home this weekend, and <laughs> I don't think I have it on DVD, but I'm sure I can find it. It's got to be somewhere. It's going to be on demand somewhere. Mm-hmm. I got nothing. And if you've seen like other films by Alfonso, like A Little Princess from the 90s, the coloration is always just a really What's his last name again? Uh, Curon, C-U-A-R-O-N. I'll get that from you later. So, okay. My pick, Mm -hmm. and I'm really excited about this. (laughs) You guys can't tell I'm smirking like a Cheshire cat. Um, Okay, movie... Better than book. I'm gonna have to go with Jackie Brown by Quentin Tarantino. Okay. Okay. Now the book that it's based on Mm -hmm. was called Rum Punch. Yes. By Elmore Leonard. Mm -hmm. I know there's a lot of Elmore Leonard fans. (laughs) So and my partner is one of those. Okay. He just like he is definitely at the altar, you know, mm. praising the altar of Elmore Leonard. <laughs> and apparently before Elmore, because I'm on first name basis. Oh, of course. Before he died, I think he taught a class somewhere on writing. Oh, my gosh. And, and Sam was always like, I'm going to take that writing class. Of course, you know, he's not a writer. But, <laughs> but that's how much he loved Elmore Leonard. Yes. Okay. So anyway... Let me tell you a little bit about this. Mm -hmm. Most people do know of the movie Jackie Brown. Mm -hmm. Jackie Brown, the movie, is different from the book. Quentin, again, first name basis, (laughs) because I love his movies so much. He took a lot of liberties. Um, He tends to do that. He does. He (laughs) does. And 
I mean, I didn't do research on it, but I'm pretty sure that Elmore Leonard signed off on this adaptation. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, I mean, he, I'm he sure he would have had to. Had to. Mm-hmm. But let me tell you some of the things that Quentin changed. Mm-hmm. So the protagonist, her name is Jackie, mm-hmm. but Quentin did change her last name. I think it was like. Burkett or Burnett or something. Okay. That doesn't have as much panache, you know. Well, and it doesn't play into Pam Greer's previous no. previous um, cinematic works exactly. as a bombshell in the 70s. No, not at all. No. The setting was moved to L.A., mm-hmm. which made a huge difference. In the book, Jackie is a white lady. And in Jackie Brown, I, th- I don't know if she's mixed race or if she's I can't remember if that's part of the narrative. I don't know. I don't know. Or if she's just African. I don't know. But anyway, so he changes the race mm-hmm. of, of Jackie. So Rum Punch, I read after watching Jackie Brown. Okay. Maybe that made a difference. And caveat again. I'm not a huge Elmore Leonard fan. Okay. I enjoy his work. He's mm-hmm. a fabulous writer. But I do love Quentin Tarantino yeah. better. I do. <laughs> I just think that when I... I remember when I was reading Rum Punch, and this is what happens, I think, to a lot of people once you've seen the film first and then you read the book. Mm-hmm. At, at least this happens to me. You tend to see the you tend to see in your mind the characters you saw on film. A hundred percent. Yeah. And so as I'm reading Rum Punch, I'm thinking of Pam Greer, you know, I'm thinking of I mean, I think I wrote down some of the people who are in Jackie Brown the movie. Mm-hmm. So Samuel L. Jackson. Okay. Michael Keaton. Yep. Chris Tucker. Chris Tucker's in that? Chris Tucker. Okay. Not, not, not a big long, role, no, but, okay. but still he's in it. Okay. Robert De Niro. Mm-hmm. Bridget Fonda. Yes. She's fantastic in it. I love she her character. Is, she is amazing. <clears throat> Some, you know, she, something bad happens to her, but anyway. And I also find it interesting that from, I've read a lot of lists about, oh, Quentin's like best movies mm-hmm. or most famous movies. Jackie Brown is not up there. Like, it's not, it's, and it's not my favorite Quentin Tarantino affiliated movie, <laughs> but I do, I did grow to appreciate it more. I think it was hard coming off of a film like Pulp Fiction to mm-hmm. follow it up with something like Jackie Brown. It's kind of like you have this thing that just shot out of a cannon and you may or may not be doomed to fail, even if the film is great, which it is. It's just hard to follow up something like Pulp Fiction. See, Pulp Fiction is great. Oh, yeah. But Jackie Brown's in my top three. Mm -hmm. I just adore it. But I will have to say, even though Rum Punch is very good, and if I remember correctly, it's a very short book. It's not very long, but... It's no John Irving. No, it's no John Irving. <laughs> and I, I do think I did Rum Punch a disservice by reading it after, after watching Jackie mm-hmm. Brown. So, yeah, so that's going to be my movie better than the book. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's Quentin and Pam Greer. And once again, now 
I know I own like the special super deluxe DVD <laughs> of yeah. this, and I'm gonna have to watch that really mm-hmm. soon now. And, and, and the music. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, the music. Because, you know, Quentin's known for the music mm-hmm, in his mm-hmm. movies. But I love the old school music mm-hmm. in Jackie Brown. It's Quentin's just... movies are a lot like really great novels in that if you reread them, you find new things that you mm-hmm. love about oh, them. Oh, yeah. And exactly. you can discover new things or uh-huh. fall down rabbit holes and learn new things about it. Yeah, he's a very unique director in that way that you really can find new things upon multiple watches there's a lot beneath the surface exactly so yeah my love for quentin (laughs) you just fangirl all over i am fangirling (laughs) over here we probably could do a whole podcast on that you know what i could i could talk about all quentin's films Mm -hmm. maybe we can do that sometime yeah yeah (laughs) keep it pg The other one I really want to talk about, only because I did so much research for it, and it's another one that is just visually stunning, is Bram Stoker's Dracula. There have been many adaptations of the 1897 novel Dracula by Irish author Bram Stoker. Again, a a book that... I didn't know he was Irish. I, you know, I knew that, but I'm always reminded of it when when I ever look into things for him. But, you know... That book was not immediately a bestseller when it was first published, and it really didn't make a lot of money for Stoker. I think his widow, after he passed away, definitely capitalized on it because mm-hmm. at some point in time, Nosferatu was going to be made, the, the silent oh, film. Yeah, and so yeah, yeah. she definitely capitalized on that at that time. But initially, the, the book didn't, you know, wasn't a hit and didn't make a lot of money. And it's definitely written in a style that once I watched the film, I went back and, and read the book. And I just, you know, it's diary entries, it's newspaper articles, it's telegrams, it's ship's logs. So it doesn't carry the kind of narrative structure that the film seemed to have. It was just a little choppy. And I didn't really enjoy it as much as the 1992 horror film directed and produced by Francis Ford Coppola. Mm-hmm. And the film, I mean, was very critically Is this acclaimed the with Keanu, Gary Oldman Keanu and Reeves. Christian Slater was actually supposed was offered that role first, mm-hmm. and he turned it down, really? and then it was offered to Keanu Reeves. I wonder so if Christian Slater might have been. A he regretted choice. it. I actually yeah. read I'm something that think, said that I he think regretted. He would have been mm-hmm. a better choice. So, like, the film, again, beautifully done, very critically acclaimed. It was nominated for four Academy Awards. It won three for Best Costume Design, Best Sound Editing, and Best Makeup. The makeup. The makeup. That was some very difficult makeup work there. And what I really appreciate about the film is that all of the visual effects that you see in the movie were all achieved without CGI. Oh, really? It is all done with kind of use of optical, with no use, excuse me, of optical or or computer-generated effects, but by creating kind of on-set or in-camera methods. So it That's really... That's impressive. There's a whole focus in the film where things are done in the antiquated way that early cinema was done in the time period in which it was set. So, you know, you're seeing, you know, the history of cinema within the movie, which did, I find very interesting did they, as, a, as a film Did they do person. that on purpose to kind yes. of make it... It was purposely whole... done. Okay. Francis Ford Coppola actually fired his second direct... Second 
like director person mm-hmm. and ended up hiring Roman Coppola who is a family member mm-hmm. of his to to do the secondary directing of these kind of more historically accurate ways of capturing photographs in, in cinema and stuff like that so it really that's what really made the film better in my opinion than the novel was the taking of the time period and the culture in which it was created and making that a part of the movie. Mm. The costumes are just out of this world. I can't pronounce the costume designer's name, but they are, their works are just, they're, they're very well known across there the world. There is some beautiful, beautiful costumes mm-hmm. in that, mm-hmm. for sure. <clears throat> yeah. So let's talk about, there's lots of books that are going to be, that have, that are coming out that have been made into movies. And so let's just talk about, real quickly here, what are ones that we're really excited about. Sure. So I'll just start. So there's one that's coming, it's actually coming, it's not coming, it's not being made into a movie, it's being made into a Netflix series. Okay. So I think that counts. Oh, 100%. (laughs) I'm going with that. So it's called Made. Okay. And I've actually talked about Made in a previous podcast before. It's one of my, uh, just well, not my favorite books, but it's one of my, uh, it's up there. It's my mm-hmm. favorite books. It's a memoir by Stephanie Land, and I actually follow her on Instagram. <laughs> she's just a really cool person. I just yeah. love her. But she wrote a book called Made back in 2019, and it's all about how she was a maid, and she worked for, like, a lot of different people. Mm-hmm. You know, she wasn't, like, a maid for just one person. Right. And... She talked about how she she had she's a single mom mm-hmm. and how just she struggled, you know, how she went without heat and how hard it was to feed her daughter and the and what what I, what I love about it it was it was the people she worked for. Yeah. Like she would call like like the people's homes like different little funny names. <laughs> like there would be like the plant lady who ah. had like tons of crazy <laughs> plants there would be like the the smoker you know but the whole book is about just making it you know in poverty and it's, at one point she's homeless mm. and I just it's just an amazing memoir just yeah. simply amazing I highly recommend it um, it has a subtitle but really it's called Made. And again, her name is Stephanie Land, and I do not know when the when the Netflix series is coming out. I know that they are so far. What I've read is that they're wrapping up production this month. Okay. So, but they have Andy McDowell's going to be Ooh. in it. You know, Andy McDowell. She is an ageless woman. I know. She's from St. Elmo's Fire back in the day. For some of you that may not know her, but. And then Billy Burke. Billy Burke was in Twilight for you Twilighters. The he, name is familiar, but he I'm not played a face. he played the dad of Bella. Oh, I think. Okay, does that help you? Yes, it does. Um, and then Andy McDowell's daughter is also yes. going to be in it, also, and she was in Once Upon a Time right. in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. So, and she's an up and coming little star there. Yeah. yeah. So I am. 
impatiently waiting <laughs> for Maid to come out. That sounds like it's going to be really good. I and something excited. for It's going to be like a out. 10 part series. Oh, okay. 10 parts. 10 parts. Good. 10 parts. Part. So, what about you? Um, I guess by the time this podcast is released, the the movie Moxie, based on the 2015 novel by Jennifer Matthew or Matthew, I don't exactly know how <laughs> she like, likes it. I like Matthew. <laughs> is going to be hitting Netflix, and if you grew up in the 80s and 90s, then you might feel the nostalgia of being young and angry and being told to be nice and smile. Oh, yeah. Um, it's oh, yeah. definitely for all my fellow Riot girls and Riot boys out there. If you love that novel, then you're going to enjoy this really sweet up-and-coming, or coming-of-age, excuse me, this coming-of-age film. And I'll just go ahead and encourage, if you like the book or if you enjoy the movie, that you may want to dip into a couple stellar documentaries and memoirs. And I'll just provide a list that can kind of really, maybe if you want to know a little bit more about the Riot Girl movement or read about women that were kind of in that scene at the time, there's the 2013 documentary, The Punk Singer, by uh, Cindy Anderson, and it really kind of explores the life and the career of the queen of Riot Girl, Kathleen Hanna, front woman for the band Bikini Kill. And, you know, she was really the pioneer for the Riot Girl movement in the 90s. And uh, for a couple of memoirs, there is the 2016 um, Hunger Makes Me a Modern Girl, a memoir, and that's from the Sleater Kinney front woman, Carrie Bronstein. You may know her from Portlandia fame. Oh, yeah, 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 um, yeah. But she had a memoir that came out in 2016, and I would be remiss to, you know, leave out Kim Gordon's memoir from 2015, Girl in a Band, and that that really deserves mention as well because I believe Kim Gordon gives a blurb on Carrie Bronstein's book. So it's oh. it's really interesting. And the last documentary that I'll kind of give as a recommendation if you're really interested in knowing a little bit more about um, women in the music scene around that time period is L7, Pretend We're Dead. It was a documentary that came out in 2016 and it kind of shows the journey of the band L7, kind of their rise and and fall, and ultimately really redemption because they're back making music and and doing that kind of a thing. And I may or may not have been a sponsor of that documentary when they did an initial Kickstarter. So <laughs> just going to put a plug so out have, there for, you've got a for little, L7. A little investment there. I, I am a little bit invested there, but definitely check out the novel Moxie from Jennifer Mathieu as well mm-hmm. as the film that's going to be released on Netflix. And it has Amy Poehler, which we all love. So I would, I would definitely yeah. check out that as an upcoming book-to-movie adaptation. We're all about plugging Netflix on here. I guess so. We're all just well, living in that quarantine world. Well, you know, it's a way to stay safe. I guess. So anyway. Well, I think we've had some a great conversation. We've had some great recommendations. And I hope our listeners have found some books and movies that they might want to check out. And so thank you, Lacey. This has been wonderful. It's always lovely talking yeah, with you, Shelley. So I hope you all have a great day. And find some great movies and great books. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Stacks and Stories, the podcast of the Mississippi Library Commission. We hope you will tune in next time and we encourage you to visit your local public library often.